we know the adage where there's much prayer, there's much power, where there's little prayer, there's little power, and where there is no prayer, there will be no power. And, I mean, there, there's, there's not an exception to this rule in the short little time that I've been able to pastor for 14 years going on, is that anytime I find someone that has a serious area that they are struggling with or that they have fallen into, you will find a lacking of prayer. Not a total absence, though there can be an absence of prayer, but there is a depletion at a level of prayer that could be in place. And it is possible to pray and struggle, but to pray and not pray as thoroughly or fully as one could. And so it's just like a, a marriage, as we mentioned, that a prayer is a relationship, is communication. And you could be married to somebody for 15 years. You could be married to someone for 50 years, and that marriage be unhealthy for 50 years. And you, you probably maybe can think of someone in your life, or maybe you have grandparents that, you know, you thought everything was all right, and all of a sudden it all falls out of control, and there is a divorce, or you find out things aren't going good, and you're like, what in the world? They've been married for 40 years. Uh, but behind that number, behind that, you know, uh, surface commitment on paper, there's deeper issues. And same thing with prayer. There's people that, you know, have been going to church for 40 years, 50 years, however long, uh, but their relationship is suffering with Jesus. Their relationship is not as healthy as it could be. And not all communication is good communication. Just like we mentioned a couple weeks ago, if I, all I did, you know, I've been married for 15 years now. If all I did when, when I came home and I saw my wife is just complain about the house being messy and then tell her to make me a sandwich. And that was all the communication that went forth between her and I. I could tell people I've been married for 15 years, and I could tell people that I talk to my wife and I see her. But the truth, if you start probing into that relationship, you will find out it is an unhealthy relationship. It is not satisfying. Uh, And though it is miraculously going that long, by the way, this is just an example. This is not really how my marriage is going, all right? Uh, we are really married for 15 years, but we have good marriage and good communication. But the, the point is this, is there are marriages that go that long. And I, I, I could think of <clears throat> a situation in my mind right now of, of somebody I know that literally the, the, the marriage is, is there, but it's a, it's, a, it's a horrific marriage. It's a terrible marriage. And the, the one spouse said to the other spouse, the only reason why I will not divorce you is because I'll get the worst end of the deal and I'll lose money on it. And so, but publicly in, in the profession, it looks good. It looks nice to the public eye. And I don't want that kind of walk with God. I don't want to portray myself as something and behind closed doors, there's nothing. And so we have to be, we have to be honest with ourselves and we got to constantly look into our life and be adult enough or mature enough and begin to say, you know what? How, how is my relationship with God doing? How is my prayer life doing? How is this area going? And if we're honest with ourselves, we could come to the conclusion that there's always room for improvement. Even if your walk in relationship with God is excellent, 
you could still look at it and say, you know what, there's, there's room for improvement. And a perfect example is the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3. And he says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. I forget those things which are behind, and I reach forth for those things that are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And so if the Apostle Paul could say, look, I haven't arrived. I haven't got there. Uh, I think we all can say something like that in our lives that, you know what, there is a room for improvement in X, Y, Z in my walk with God or in ABC. And right now we're kind of in the ABC of our walk with God, which is prayer, the word and church attendance and prayer. And even though this is the third week in a row, we could spend the rest of the year talking just about prayer. And one one thing I came across from a minister one time, and I was mentioning it uh, the other week we had service, was that being that prayer, and this is, it sounds like almost insulting, but this was not the point he was making. He says, being that prayer is such this small area of our life, we should make it count. And the individual that said this would pray three hours a day. And so we're thinking like, you know, three hours. A day. But he said about himself, being that prayer is such a small part of my life, I have to make it count. Because three hours out of 24 hours is a minority of the day. You know, it's just barely over 10%. And statistically from, you know, surveying uh, uh, 10,000 people is that uh, the majority of people are not, or not the majority of people aren't praying. Uh, it's barely over half of people that claim to be Christian are praying daily. But those that are praying daily, the average time is just a little bit over 15 minutes. And so we're not talking about the average person in our movement praying three hours a day. In fact, it was less than, uh, if I can't, I can't, I don't have the stat in front of me, but it was either less than 6% or less than 3% of people in our movement pray an hour or more a day. And so that might make you feel good, like, oh, I'm not the only one. No, that's not, that's not the point of it, is so you can feel better about yourself. The point of it should be there's more of myself that I can give to God. Because I don't think there's a person in this room that would would argue that God's not the most important, that you love him and that you're, you're giving your life to him. And uh, so being that's the case, that we love him, we want to give our lives to him, we want to be so sold out to him, we got to ask ourselves, why are we giving so little of ourselves to him? Now, we know that there is life, day-to-day activity. We got, we got jobs, we got kids, we got spouse, we got all these, these things that we have to tend to. And the Apostle Paul deals with that in Corinthians chapter 7, you know, talking about a divided life. When you are, when you are married, your life is now divided. It's, your attention is divided. Um, and we work and all those kinds of things. But here we are, wherever you're at in your prayer life, you should hopefully make it a goal at the beginning of the year is a perfect time to say, you know what, this is where I'm at, and this is my goal by the end of this year. I, I, right now I'm currently a person of 15 minutes of prayer. I'm currently a person of 30 minutes of prayer. But you know what, I've been at this plateau for 10 years. I've been at this place of prayer for for um, 10 years, 5 years, whatever it is. God, I want to get to the next here in my relationship with you. And that's what it's about. It's not about going around boasting how much you pray. It's about enjoying more time 
with God. And more time with God is never regretted time if we do it correctly. It's only regretted time if we're saying regretful things in prayer, if we're, you know, casting accusations to God and, and, and we're, we're not praying as we ought to pray and we're praying because there is a wrong way to pray. Jesus obviously addressed that. He addressed people that pray just to be seen of men. He addressed people that pray just to get vengeance on somebody. He addressed all those kinds of things. And so we know that just because we pray doesn't mean we're praying correctly. And we need to make sure we're praying correctly. I want to go to the book of Luke chapter 11, verse 1. We're going to go through uh, a few verses here in the context. And um, hopefully we'll get through this thought here today. But here's this certain place. Jesus is praying. And as you see here, uh, he has a certain place. And we mentioned at the beginning of this a few weeks back that Jesus had a time. Jesus had a place. And that's how Judas was able to portray Jesus. He knew the place that Jesus prayed. Jesus had a geographical location that he hallowed for prayer. And so if you do not have a geographical location that is hallowed for prayer, I highly recommend you do that. It's, it's not that you'll go to hell because you don't have a specified geographical location, but we are creatures of habit and we, we do better when we have something set for us to go to. And statistically, we are less likely to be consistent in our prayer if we don't have a set time and a set place. It's the power of having a routine. And so Jesus here, uh, he is praying in a certain place. And when he finishes praying, one of the disciples say to him in verse one, Lord, teach us to pray. And if the disciples who've been walking with Jesus for an extended amount of time here now could ask this question, it's not wrong for us to ask that question of God. God, I want to learn. I want to grow in my prayer life. And if our prayer life grows, our spiritual life grows. But if our prayer life does not grow, our spiritual life will have some suffering in it. And so Jesus answers this question. And he says in verse 2, he gives this example. He says, when you pray, say. That's very important. Uh, meditation and prayer are two different things. When we pray, we are to say. We are to speak. Jesus said, say to the mountain. He didn't say, think to the mountain. Think about the mountain. He says, speak to the mountain. Speak it. And so it's very important we use words. Proverbs 18.1, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so Jesus says, when you pray, say, and make it a point in your prayer life to talk out loud. And he begins to break down what people call the Lord's prayer. And uh, he says, our father, which art in heaven, he's helping us to understand that the one that we are talking to wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to be in relationship is not just some supreme, almighty, powerful God that casts his eyes down towards us. But it is a God that wants to be intimately involved in our lives. And it, it, in the day and age in which we are living, it's 
quite likely that you had an unhealthy relationship with your father or not a relationship with your father at all. And so a statement like that may not seem endearing or inviting until you realize what a real father, a loving father can be. And that's the purpose and the goal. And if you were absent of a father or you had an abusive father, you can know a good father. God Almighty wants to love on you. He wants to cherish you. He wants to hold you. He wants to embrace you. And so when you talk to him, it's to be in a relationship manner. And it, but at the same time, not only is he our father, he is in heaven. We got to know that he is God as well. He is a deity. And then he says, hallowed be thy name. And we want to call on that name that is above every name. The name Jesus means God or Jehovah, our salvation. Jesus said, I have come in my father's name. And so when you talk to your heavenly father, you call on the name of Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee bows, every tongue confesses. There's power when you speak that name. And so when we begin to pray in Jesus' name, we want his kingdom to come. Now, we're all kingdom-minded. It's just a matter of whose kingdom we're minding. You know, we like to build our kingdom. We, won't, we, don't, we don't say that or admit it, but most of the time we're building our kingdom. But when we pray, it's not about our kingdom. It's saying, God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done as in heaven so in earth. And so God does have a plan. God does have a will. God does have a purpose. And it's very important that we pray. Jesus, when he was praying in the garden and it was a battle between spirit and flesh, he was fully God and he was fully man. Okay. And so when he prayed, he was battling. He says, not my will. He says, if it be possible, father, let this cup pass through me. And if Jesus Christ can struggle with the execution of doing what's right, you better believe we're going to struggle as well. Okay. And Jesus Christ, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter four, that he was in all points tempted like as we are, but without sin. And so if sinless flesh is tempted by sin, how much more is sinful flesh going to be tempted with sin? And the only way Jesus was able to overcome temptation with sinless flesh was prayer. We cannot overcome sinful flesh without prayer. Prayer has to be a part of who we are. And so when we pray, he says, Father, nevertheless, not my will, thy will be done. And he wrestled with that concept. And so whatever struggle you have, and it, it, there's seasons, you know. I mean, there's sometimes we struggle with something since we've been a teenager. But there's things that you overcome. And when you become an adult, it's going to be a different struggle. And after, you know, your singleness and you get into marriage, it's going to be a different struggle. And then all of a sudden your kids grow up, it's going to be a different struggle. There's always going to be a new season. And that should always be the next reason why I, I stay in prayer. I stay in prayer. I know God's brought me a mighty long way, but I still got this ahead of me. I still got this right before me. And so prayer has to be in the present. It constantly has to be in our lives. And so here he says, let your will be done as in heaven. So in earth. And so when we pray, he's given us this insight to prayer. When we are praying, when we are saying, when we are speaking, you literally, you might feel like it's hell on earth right now, but your prayer can bring heaven on earth. Your prayer can bring the entrance of God's will into your life. What you're going through is completely contrary to the things of God. But when you pray, you can have the will of God 
become a reality in your present circumstance. But it happens when you pray and when you say. And so he goes on here in verse 3 and he says, Give us day by day our daily bread. And so once more, he, he emphasizes, he says it three times, his day, day, and daily. If, if you need a, a concept of how my prayer life should be going, day by day, and daily. Every day I need bread. Every day I need sustenance. I need this spiritual nourishment from God. Now, I believe this is spiritual and I believe it is literal as well. We, because the Bible says in the book of James uh, chapter one, that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above from the father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And so any good thing that we need, it comes from above. And so that's why I, I talk to the above. I talk to my father who's in heaven and I say, Father, I need bread. I am your child. And David, he said it like this in the spirit in Psalm 37. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor God's seed begging for bread. And so you are the seed of God. You are a child of God. And, and I, I'm thankful that, you know, uh, in, in my family situation, my, my kids have never had to wake up in the morning scurrying and, 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 and scared if they're going to find anything to eat. Every single day, they have absolute persuasion and expectation when they open that cupboard that there's going to be cereal for them, that there's going to be something to eat for them. And, it, and, and if, if I can provide for my children, I got to have the faith of a child that my father will provide for me. But I always have to remind myself in prayer. Prayer is not informing God of something you do not know. It's reminding yourself of who you need to know who you need to talk to. And so when I pray daily, I'm, I'm not informing God of my needs. I'm, I'm reminding myself who supplies my needs. Jesus Christ, you're my father. And every good gift I have comes from above. And I need you to provide for me today. I can't do this on my own. I need you because I can't provide for my kids without your provision because I'm your kid. And that's how it flows. And so it's very important when we pray, it keeps us humble. It keeps us in check. It keeps us dependent and reliant upon God. But when we're going day by day and daily without prayer, we actually become our own provider. And that's a dangerous thing because now we don't need God until we run out of the provision. Then also now we need God. And that's an unhealthy relationship. If the only reason why you keep your spouse around is because you want to have those physical intimate moments, that's not a healthy relationship. A healthy relationship is the communication, the communication that's ongoing and that is appropriate. And that is how you feed that. Relate. I don't want just to talk to God to take care of my physical demands when I'm running low. No, I want to be in love with him and in conversation with him day by day and daily. But when we pray, it's important. There's something more important than just the bread that we eat. It is that we ask him to forgive us of our sins. And so when he prays, he says, forgive us our sins. This is a, a simple statement to say, but if you put thought and heart into it, it's a very difficult thing to do. To basically acknowledge to God that I am wrong. God, I, I sinned. God, I did wrong. My reaction 
was wrong. My, my rea- what I did, Jesus, was evil. It was sinful. It was contrary to you, God. Forgive me today of my sins. And, you know, uh, the older we get, the more stubborn we get. You know, you might think your kids are stubborn, but, like, they're just, like, you know, feeding off of your stubbornness. Uh, we're stubborn. And so it is, it is a humbling thing, not just to say, God, I need bread today. It's a humbling thing to say, God, I'm going to go to hell without you today. I need you to clean my heart because I'm not perfect, Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. And if that's hard, the next part is even more difficult. And forgive everyone that's indebted to us. God, I, I also want to forgive the people that have done me wrong. God, would you not only forgive me, but God, I want to forgive them. I let it go. I apologize. I make it right. And I don't have the scripture up here, but Jesus said, he goes, look, if, if you go to bring a gift to your brother and you know, you have aught with them, he says, you leave your gift at the altar and you go make right. And he says, if you can't forgive those that you see, how can your father ever forgive you? This is how important and critical forgiveness is. We want access to forgiveness from God for ourselves. But God says, my forgiveness to you is inaccessible until you forgive others. You have to forgive others. And one of the most beautiful stories, there's, there's many beautiful stories in the scripture. But one of my favorite displays of a, a story of forgiveness is the story of Joseph. If you haven't read it in a while, I, I recommend you read the story of Joseph. Someone that was done wrong time after time after time again. And wrong by those closest to him. His very own flesh and blood. And he listened to them at the base of a well that he was thrown into as they plan out what they're going to do with him. How do we kill him? And then finally they said, well, let's, we like to kill him, but let's make some money off of it and let's sell him into slavery. He heard that entire conversation and he could got mad at God because God was giving him all these visions and dreams that he's going to be something awesome and incredible. But it keeps going further and further away from the vision and the dream. Long story short, at the end, he is more powerful than his brothers and his brothers stand before him. And Joseph just has to do one of these thumbs up or thumbs down. And his brothers either live or they die by the hand of Joseph. But Joseph humbles himself and he says, I forgive you. I love you. God was in this. Don't be mad. Don't, don't beat yourself up over this. What the devil meant for evil, God meant for good. This all came. It was, it's a beautiful, powerful story of forgiveness, redemption, and preservation. And so we got to make sure when we're praying that we just don't ask God to forgive us of our sins, but we got to say, God, I, 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 my, my spirit and my attitude towards this individual is not right. And God, I forgive them. And God, and here's the difference between forgiving. Maybe this, hopefully this will make, help you out or make sense. There is a time to go to a person and have that conversation of forgiveness. And there's times it's just between you and God. Okay. When, when the situation is between two people and it is a known situation between those two people, that is a time you have to do that or forgiveness will be withheld from you. Okay. But if, if you just have thoughts about someone 
and it's, it's burning inside of you, but you've not had the, con- the conflict, that's, you need to take that up with God. Because what ends up happening, I've had people that, you know, there was, there was, uh, they, were, they were ticked off at me. They hated me. You know, and I'm talking about like ministers. You know, they, they're just, uh, they just were not happy, okay? And so, and all of a sudden, like, I thought everything was great. And also they tell me, you know, I just want you to know. Uh, Brother Brown, that, uh, you know, duh, 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 that I, that I've been wrestling with, I can't stand you, blah, 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 blah. And then, like, at the end, like, like they're feeling good. I'm just feeling like, oh, <laughs> you know, and you kind of actually almost, it's counterproductive to some degree. You know, you actually now, now the relationship has just been, been uh, harmed. It's been hurt. Okay. You see, you see the difference between those two. It's very important. Okay. You don't need to take something to somebody just because you feel a certain way about them. Okay. If it's never manifested, but if it's manifested between the two parties, then it has to be addressed between the two parties. Okay. That's the difference. It's very important. And so as Jesus keeps on going here through this prayer, of uh, uh, or the Lord's Prayer, and he's trying to teach the disciples the answer to the question in Luke eleven one. He goes on to say, and lead us not into temptation. So after your sins are forgiven, and after you have forgiven others, the next thing is, you know, prepare yourself. Say, God, you know, this is obviously my struggle. This is obviously my hang-up. This is obviously an area that I'm battling with. Can you help me not to repeat it? Can you help me not to go back to it? It's very important because if, if what we do when we pray is just general and vague, that's how our, the, the, the outflow of prayer becomes in our life. We just have general things happen in our life, and we really don't know what God is or is not doing. But the more detailed and specific you are in your prayer, those details will manifest, and it will be beyond a shadow of a doubt that you know that you talk to God specifically about that. And now you see the specifics manifesting, and what it does, it builds your faith. It, it feeds your faith, and it ends up giving more glory to God and more credit to God and more attention to God and as a powerful testimony. So what I do, you know, I don't just ask God to forgive me about things. I say, God, okay, this is, this is my deal. This is my problem. God, can you help me with this? I am sorry about it, but I don't want to just be sorry. I want it. I want to fix it by the help and by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will help you with whatever the temptation is. And the Bible says he's not not only going to like help you with the temptation. He says he will deliver you from the evil. I don't want to just, you know, to have temptation my whole life with certain things. I want to be delivered from it. And you've heard me state this before, and you, uh, you know my spirit, my attitude is not uh, self-righteous in this, is, is I, I have a testimony. I, I literally, I don't struggle with alcohol. I don't struggle with pornography. These are things that I was bound by, that I was, I was just completely under temptation in the flesh. But God got me to a place that I said, God, lead me not into temptation. Help me and deliver me from evil. And God answered that as specific as I was with him. That's how specific he came into my prayer situation. And I have been delivered. I'm, I'm sober, I'm clean, and I give God all the credit and all the glory for that. And it happened in this simple little thing that we brush over so fast called prayer. Prayer is powerful. Prayer works. But and we'll, you know, everywhere I go, people nod their head. Yeah, yeah, prayer. But then you ask them about their prayer life. And it's, it's, it's intermittent. It's here and there. It's spotty. And, and at best, if they're praying daily, the average time is 15 minutes. And I'm not mocking that. 
I'm not insulting that. God's just inviting you to something deeper than that. And that's the beauty. And, and, and um, my wife and I, our marriage is, 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 is better than it's ever been. I enjoy my marriage more now than I did when we first got married. I enjoy my marriage now more than I did five years ago. Because it grows, the relationship grows, the conversation grows, the maturity grows. And that's what prayer can be. If prayer is lame and boring and it's, it's, it's really low level, it's because you're not feeding it enough. But if you feed it, it reciprocates. And the more you feed it, it will reciprocate even more. And so this is why we're taking our time talking about prayer. So we move forward here. In verse 5, after Jesus gives this, this model example, and there's, this is not the only way to approach God in prayer. There's many ways to talk to God in prayer, but this is one outline that he gives. But then he, he wants them to understand a concept about this prayer in verse 5 on down. And he, he gives this, this illustration. He says, which of you have a friend? Hopefully we all have a friend. In other words, this isn't going to help you out very much. But hopefully you have at least one friend, okay? If you have a friend, he says... Which one of you would go to a friend at midnight and you would knock on the door and say, hey, I, can you lend me three loaves? And it seems like an odd request, but he explains why the person went to someone else's house at midnight and asked for three loaves. He says, I have a friend of mine from out of town that has come to me, but I don't have anything to give him. And so the guy inside the house that was just woken up, he answered, he says, Yo, look, you got to leave me alone. The doors close. My children are in, uh, in bed with me, and I cannot rise and give. And I've read different things about it, about this, this, this story illustration and, you know, how accurate the commentators are or not. I don't know. But basically, one of the ways houses were set up, and it seems to be from this story, is that they would be like in a, uh, an upper room, and there was basically like a loft, and there's the door set, and the children would be set on the door. And so basically, to go downstairs to get milk from the kitchen, you'd have to take the kids off the door and open it up. And so this is kind of the, the, the picture that God is giving, that which none of us want. You know, once our kids go, we, we fight the whole time to get them to go to bed, and then we do everything to make sure they don't wake up. And... Uh, so we get this picture, right? But here in this setting, they don't have a four-bedroom house. They don't have, you know, all these separate rooms. It's basically a loft. The kids are sleeping on the door. And um, they're kind of basically like the alarm. You know, the kids wake up, everybody's up. And so they're there. And uh, he's like, if, if I'm going to get you bread, I'm going to have to wake up my kids. I'm going to have to disrupt my entire house just to get you this bread. Totally, absolutely inconvenient. And so he says, I can't rise. I can't give it to you. In verse 8, that friend's not convinced. Jesus says, though he's not going to get up and give him the first time for his friends, even though they're friends, but his friend is shameless, importunity. He is relentless. He, he's unabashed, unashamed. He goes all out. He says, because he won't shut up and stop knocking, he gets up because everything's going to get up anyways. And he gives them as much as he needs. So this is very important for us to understand. When Jesus invites us to prayer, he invites us to be unashamed, to be uh, unabashed, to go repeatedly about the same thing. And uh, we've taught on this before, 
And uh, I, I, I've, I've come across this, this spirit, this attitude over and over again as I travel is that people feel like, you know, I, I don't want to keep bringing up to God. I don't need to keep repeating it. God already knows. I already talked to him about it. I talked to him for a week about it. But when Jesus answers the question, Lord, teach us to pray, what he wants them to learn from the lesson is don't stop asking about your situation. Keep repeating the request. And then in another scene, when in the same context, uh, when Jesus says it in another gospel, but it's the same setting, they, they give the further story and example of a woman that comes before a king. And the king is an absolute jerk. He doesn't like people. He doesn't like God. He doesn't like anybody. But this woman keeps coming back to the king and saying, I need you to take care of this situation. And finally, the king is so worn out saying, I can't shut her up. The only way I'm going to shut her up is if I answer her need. And so he answers her her need. And Jesus says, look, take a lesson from this wicked ruler. If he would answer this lady's request and he doesn't like people and he doesn't have any reverence of God, what do you think your heavenly father is going to do? He will answer speedily. He will come and give you the answer to your request. But the point is that he says is keep coming back with your request. And in that context, here's what Jesus says. He says, but when the son of man returns, will he find that kind of faith on the earth? Jesus said this about us before I come back for the church. I am concerned about the condition of people's prayer life. Will they keep coming to me with the same requests, though they've yet to get it? And how many people stop asking because it didn't come on their timeline? See, if God answered the first time every time, there would be no faith. There would be no reliance. There'd be no humility. There'd be no dependence. We would just be a spoiled brat. And we think we got God figured out. But God will let time and uh, uh, process and pursuit work on what needs to be worked on inside of us. And so, therefore, he will withhold so we withhold nothing. He will withhold the answer so you completely base yourself before him and say, because here, here's the lesson he says. He says, his friend will not stop knocking till he gets it because he knows there's nowhere else he can go. No one else is going to grant his request. And this is our problem as Americans in this day and age we live in is, God, I need you to, I need you to provide. I need you to take care of this. All right, let me just get my credit card out. Swing. We, 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 we can provide, and, but it's all a facade. It's not real. It's not healthy. It's, we become our own God. We become our own provider. And, uh, and I'm not saying because you got a credit card, you're going to hell in a handbasket. That's not the point. The point is that we basically can just leapfrog God, and we can provide for it ourselves. But we end up having to pay the price for it down the road. And same thing uh, in the medical field. I'm not against going to doctors, and I'm not against the medical profession whatsoever. I thank God for it. I think it's, I think it's a God-given thing. But our problem is we don't even give God a chance to be a healer anymore. We don't even get, you know, we were like, well, I've never seen the miraculous. I don't believe in it, you know. Well, do you ever give God a chance or an opportunity or, an, you know, you present it to him and say, God, I know that I can go to the doctor right now. I know I can get a prescription right now. But God, I want to see your hand in this situation. I, I, I bring it to you right now. 
And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe your report that with your stripes, I am healed. And I believe he absolutely can heal you. I absolutely believe he can work in your situation. But is he the only person that we really believe can do it for us? You know, the Bible says that he's the wonderful. He's the counselor. He's the prince of peace. But instead, we'll go to a different counselor and we'll get their diagnosis for us instead of going to the wonderful counselor who is the mighty God, the everlasting father who we should be praying to day by day and daily, by the way, which is our father who art in heaven. Can you help me with this situation and keep coming to him? And it's 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 it's, it's embarrassing and it's frustrating because here. If, if you're Pentecostal, if you're apostolic, if you believe the book of Acts, here, here's, here's a, a, a frustration with us, for, for us, is knowing that he can, but he hasn't yet. And, oh, that just burns my mind. Like, my father, my, 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 my earthly father, his body is, is totally destroyed. It's, it, it's, it's hard listening you know, usually when my mom calls, I almost, she's probably going to listen to this teaching. So I should maybe not say all this, but I love you, mom. Um, you know, it's like when I see her call, like I, my initial thing is I don't even want to answer because I have this feeling that it's something about like the pain that my dad is in and, and pray for him, which, you know, I'm glad she lets me know I'm going to pray for my dad. But like just that, that thought just irks me so bad because my dad, he worked his literal body to death for our family road construction and his spine is degenerating. He's losing nerves. All this, it's, it's horrible. And so I'm thinking like, man, I, God, I know God can do it. I know God can do it. I know God can do it. He could do it at any point and he's not doing it. But that doesn't stop me from continuing to go to him for the answer. And, and, then, and then all of a sudden you have someone that comes to church for their very first time, knows nothing about God, lifts up their hands, God heals them, and they go right back to the world. Or, or, or somebody, you know, that, that is living faithfully for God and they can't have kids and they keep praying about it and they end up never having children. And then there's people that aren't living in wedlock and are sleeping around and they're having kids more than you can shake a stick at. I, I don't understand how that all works. But coming back to God always keeps us in the right place with God. Because if we stop coming to him with that, we stop believing him. And we stop believing what he can do. I will always come back to him saying, God, I still believe you can do this. And I still present it to you. And whether or not you answer it, I'm still going to come to you with it. Because I love you, Jesus. You're my heavenly father. And I am submitted to you. And I know you're the only one that can answer this. And so I'm going to come to you day by day. And by chance, I have your favor one day. And you step down and you divinely intervene. And the answer comes. I want want to be there that day. I would hate it to be the day God would answer the prayer, but he doesn't find me in the throne room. That's what he wants you to be consistent. And this is why it's so important because, you know, emotionally what we can do is like, we'll go through these droughts and famines. We don't pray at all. And then also we hit this point of desperation and we come to God and we pray for a three hour prayer session. You know, we pray every day for three hours. We fast for 21 days and then nothing happens. And then we go back to our drought. Faithfulness, consistency. God would rather you be a person of 30 minutes of prayer a day, every day for a year, than you being a person of three hours of prayer for one week and don't pray the rest of the year. 
There's something powerful about faithfulness and consistency. So I, I don't mock and insult you if you are here today and you pray every day for 15 minutes. You are to be blessed and rewarded and, and regarded for that. But God has more for you, too. That's the point. You don't have to say, well, you know, I'm consistently, you know, here. Well, why not consistently grow? And that's what I, I want to consistently grow in this area of my walk with God. And I'll, I'll just go through these last few verses. We won't be able to finish up and... Um, We'll dismiss here. Uh, verse 8, he goes on to say, or verse uh, 9, he says, Ask, it will be given you. Seek, you will find. Knock, it will be opened to you. And he says, everyone, not someone, not every other, but everyone that asks, receives. Everyone that seeks, finds. Everyone that knocks, it's open. And if you as a, an evil person knows the process of how a father, when a son asks a father for bread, he doesn't give him a stone. If a son asks for a fish, his father doesn't give him a serpent. If, if his son asks for an egg, he doesn't give him a scorpion. He says, look, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? That's, that's God. He loves you. I know right now you feel like you're being handed a scorpion, but I promise you, he loves you. And he, he just wants to keep hearing your voice. And he's going to answer He's going to answer. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. And God, I pray like the disciples requested, we request. God, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. I pray we don't go through another year of, Lord, just common prayer, dying prayer. But I pray we have growing prayer. Help us to grow and develop and help us to be consistently bringing our needs to you. In Jesus' name we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.